The following program is sponsored by the Perry Management Corporation, who is solely responsible for its content. medical research originally conducted to help doctors heal skin wounds has shown that copper plays an important role in healthy, firm, radiant skin. The Neovo Therapy family of products captures the benefits of copper using a unique delivery system called GHK Copper Peptide, delivering copper deep into the skin. Research has shown that copper is an essential component for collagen in elastin production, and clinical studies demonstrate that GHK copper peptide decreases the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, and skin blotchiness while increasing skin firmness and tone in as little as two weeks. Neovotherapy products benefit all skin types and all ages, and when used as a part of a medically supervised approach to anti-aging skin care, you'll never look better. The results are clearly visible. Available through physicians, Neovotherapy brings the power of GHK copper peptide to your anti-aging skincare program. Call 888-593-SKIN today to find a physician near you or visit our website at copperpeptide.com to see the products for yourself. You'll be glad you did. What a night to start a show about plastic surgery. The New York Times today ran a front page article on the first face transplant which was performed in France last week. When's the last time you saw a show about a plastic, uh, saw a plastic surgery article on page one of the New York Times? Well, that's plastic surgery in the news, and this is plastic surgery in the air, a new program on WOR. Each Saturday, we'll talk about another interesting topic in cosmetic surgery. You can call in and ask me questions about cosmetic surgery at 212-528-0129. On this show, we're going to talk about a lot of things in cosmetic surgery. We'll talk about breast augmentations, for instance. I've never met a woman who was happy with both the size or shape of her breasts. Our society is obsessed with breasts. Well, we'll talk about liposuction on this show. This procedure defined plastic surgery in the 1980s. But it's not without risk. We're going to talk about procedures that could possibly even kill you. And Botox. Who hasn't thought about Botox? Are wrinkles really a necessary part of growing old? And we'll talk about skin care. Do those $150 creams really work? And how about facelifts? There are hundreds of different procedures out there. Which works the best? We're going to answer those questions on this show. The return of silicon breast implants. They're about to return to the market after being banned 13 years ago. Future shows will talk about breast implants. And why are there so many bad nose jobs? Just look around on the streets and you'll see what I'm talking about. And what should you do to choose a good plastic surgeon? What information do you need? Well, good evening. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon. For the next half hour, we'll be talking about one of America's favorite topics. No, not sex. 
not baseball. We'll be talking about cosmetic surgery. Plastic surgery is a new program on WOR. Each Saturday, we'll discuss these various topics in cosmetic surgery. This is not a sales show. I'm not selling vitamins. I'm not selling creams. I'm not selling any drugs. You'll hear straight talk about plastic surgery. You'll hear the good, you'll hear the bad, and you'll hear about the ugly. You can call and ask me questions about cosmetic surgery. The number is 212-528-0129. Well, as I said, I'm a plastic surgeon. My offices are in the Princeton and Branchburg areas of central New Jersey. I perform facelifts, eyelid lifts, nose jobs, which on this show we're going to call rhinoplasties. I do liposuction. I do Botox and breast augmentations. We're going to talk about all of these things on this show. It's so difficult to get straight information about cosmetic surgery. TV shows are hyped up and make real surgery seem like entertainment. Every website you go to is really an advertisement. It's a biased look at plastic surgery, but it's really still an advertisement. Plastic surgery in the air, this show will be your resource. Call us with your questions and get a free on-the-air consultation with me. You know, in 2004, there were over 2 million cosmetic surgical procedures and 8 million non-surgical procedures in the United States alone. If you have had a procedure or if you want a procedure, this is the program for you. Well, to trust me, you need to know my background. I grew up just up the Hudson River in Highland Falls, New York. I trained in surgery at Harvard, at Cornell, and at the University of Chicago. And I'm certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. I'm on the faculty of two different medical schools, Robert Wood Johnson in New Jersey and the University of Pennsylvania. You can check me out on my website at www.periplasticsurgery.com. There You'll see some information about me, and you'll see some photographs of my four Basset hounds. I've also been on the New Jersey State Board of Medical Examiners for 10 years now, and I need to tell you that the opinions that I express are my own. They are not those of the New Jersey Board of Medical Examiners, the Division of Consumer Affairs, or the Attorney General of the State of New Jersey. I'm not speaking for them on this show. Well, on this show, anything about cosmetic surgery is fair game, but we are not a general medical show. Don't call me about your questions about avian flu. It's interesting, but we're not going to talk about it today. Don't call me about your Lipitor dose. That's for Dr. Vanini tomorrow. Call me about your wrinkles. Call me about your fat, your large nose, or your small breasts. That's what we're going to talk about on the show. Now remember, I'm not giving specific advice on the show. We're going to talk about general things. I can't give specific medical advice without examining you. If you've got a medical issue, you're going to need to see your own doctor. Well, let's get down to business. We've got some calls already, and that's pretty good for seven minutes into the first Plastic Surgery in the Air show. Joseph, you're on the line. Can I help you? And it looks like Joseph is not on the line, so let's go to uh, Susan, who wants to talk about liposuction fat. Susan? A few audio problems, and it's the uh, first show, of course, so we're going to have these kind of problems. 
I wanted to talk a little about breast implants because they're back in the news. Over 300,000 women had breast augmentations last year, and the FDA is about to let silicon gel implants back on the market. Breast implants started somewhere in the 1950s. Surgeons tried injecting all sorts of chemicals into the breasts to increase the, their size, but most of these were disasters. Oils, wax, silicon, glass balls. They put nearly everything. Silicon breast implants. The early implants were silicon gel in a bag of silicon rubber. They felt natural, but as many as half the breasts became rock hard. The body saw implants as a foreign object. Like a splinter or a piece of glass under the skin, it walled off the implants. The companies then tried to make thinner bags. But this was a critical error because most of these weakened implants eventually ruptured. Well, over the next three decades, all sorts of implants were tried, from polyurethane-coated silicon to peanut oil to saltwater implants. And in 1992, Connie Chung went on the air with a, a quite famous program that incited the country into thinking that implants cause diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. And so gel implants were taken off the market during this hysteria, leaving only saline implants. Well, we're um, in the era now where silicon gel implants are almost back. The FDA is poised just this fall, maybe this winter, to put silicon gel implants back on the market. Now, that's going to be very controversial. There are lots of people that think silicon gel implants are great. They feel more natural than silicon saline implants. And so there are some great advantages. But when they rupture, there are potential problems with silicon breast implants. I understand that the phones are now back in operation. And so we're going to talk to Susan about liposuction again. And we'll come back to the topic of implants later in this show. Susan, what can I do for you? Hi, I've heard that if you get liposuction um, and have fat removed from one part of your body, that it will it can come back in other parts of your body where you didn't have a fat problem before. And I'm wondering if that's true. Well, you know, a lot of people think that liposuction uh, will permanently remove fat, and it will under certain circumstances. But if you're in caloric balance, and what I mean by that is if you eat the same number of calories that you burn off each day, then you're not going to gain weight afterwards. What will happen, though, if you decide to have pizza every day and, uh, and have more calories than you burn up, you're going to gain weight. And it's going to come to another part of your body. It not ne is not necessarily going to go back to the same area and probably won't. It'll go to the next genetically predetermined area. So, for instance, if you had liposuction of your belly and you became obese afterwards, the fat is going to go to your thighs. It might go to your arms. It might go to your neck. It might even go to your breasts. But uh, it'll come back less to the area that you uh, had suction. But if you stay in caloric balance, meaning, again, you eat as many calories as you burn off, then you're not going to gain weight, and it's not going to come back to the area that was suctioned. Does that answer your question? It does, and it also um, satisfies my curiosity because I had a friend who had liposuction uh, on her belly, and one day I was looking at her from behind, and I thought that I noticed that her thighs had gotten quite large, <laughs> larger than I had remembered. <laughs> so, in fact... 
you completely answered my question. Thank you. Well, thanks for calling. And we have on the line now Marsha, who is talking about something very new in cosmetic surgery, something called thread lifts. Marsha, what can I do for you? Uh, hi, doctor. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Fine. Uh, I, when I, uh, I saw that in a paper. I have, I'm 75, and my, around my mouth is kind of like, you know, saggy <laughs> or something. And you're interested in, uh, in thread lifts? You read about these? Well, I just saw it in the paper, and I didn't know if that would be something that could just pick that up. I don't my, you know, I don't want my eyes lifted. I don't want my brow lifted. Just mm -hmm. around my mouth. Well, you know, thread lifts are one of the new things in plastic surgery. There's a great trend to lesser invasive procedures, procedures that have less risks. So the standard, 15 years ago, the standard for facial sagging was a facelift. In fact, 10 years ago, that standard was there. Oh, about 10 years ago, we started doing something called endoscopic lifting through smaller incisions. And just several years ago, we began thinking about even smaller procedures that can lift the face. So thread lifting is a very, very interesting concept. There are stitches, really, that have barbs that are placed into them, uh, kind of like a fish hook. And what's done is that these threads are embedded into the tissue. They're useful for the jowls. They're useful for the mid-face, lifting the cheek, the um, cheek tissue over the cheekbone and the nasolabial fold, which is the fold between the nose and the lips, and they're also useful for the brow. Now, thread lifts are in their infancy. They're really only a couple years old. There are no long-term studies that tell us how long thread lifts work. The nice thing about thread lifts is that they're done under local anesthesia, so you don't need general anesthesia. Um, and that's a great, great advantage to this procedure. They may only last six months. They may last a year. They may last two years. We just don't know. It's interesting. I saw something in the paper a few months ago about thread lifts, and they talked about how they might last five, six, seven years, and I thought that was very interesting since they've only been on the market a couple of years. How can anyone possibly know how long they're going to last? So I think thread lifts have a great future, particularly in people who one, don't want a facelift. I think they're going to be enormous in men because men don't like surgery. They don't like facial surgery. They can't cover scars with makeup. And so a thread lift provides a great solution for a man. And even in the situation where it would last maybe a year, maybe two years, and then you go back and have other threads placed, uh, that's still a great advantage to having scars and having a long time out of work. Have I answered your question, Marcia? Yeah, well, hi. Yes, but how about a, a fight? You know what the price is? Maybe. I, I mean, just a broad, you know. Uh, we've got a very bad phone connection, but uh, I'll try and answer that. You know, prices vary around the country. The New York area is one of the more expensive areas in the country for cosmetic surgery. Uh, th the actual threads cost a lot of money. The companies that are making these will charge in the area of a $100 for each thread. And if you need a thread, uh, uh, if you only need one, it's $100. But if you want your jowls and mid-face and brow lifted, we're talking about eight or so threads on each side, so that's $1,600 just for the material. And then there's the fee for the surgeon, which is probably going to be in the area of a couple thousand dollars beyond the threads. So certainly it's not as much as a facelift, uh, but they're not inexpensive either, I can assure you. Thanks for calling. Uh, we have on the line uh, other callers, and in fact we've got uh, Kim 
who will be talking about Browless. We've got Lynn up ahead talking about eyelids. We've got Bernice on the line, and Joe looks like he came back on the line with uh, creases. Uh, the phone number here is 212-528-0129, and this is WOR, and this is Plastic Surgery in the Air, the new show on WOR. We were talking earlier about breast augmentation surgery. You know, it's very interesting. I have patients come to me from around the state and around the northeast United States and some from around the country. I had a woman just several weeks ago who had surgery in Peru, and she had a lot of surgery. She had a brow lift. She had an eyelid lift. Uh, she had a facelift and a breast reduction, and she had all sorts of problems with this surgery. She came back from Peru. She had uh, infected scars with uh, stitches left in and all sorts of issues. And I asked her, why did you have your surgery in Peru? And I guess most of you listening out there kind of know the answer to this question. The answer was it was a lot cheaper than surgery done in New York. Well, I can tell you that your health is nothing to bargain shop with. I'm always amazed at people who will have surgery in countries where they won't drink the water. Think about that. You go to a South American country, people tell you, you know, don't drink the water, you want to boil your water, buy bottled water, and yet people are having surgery there. Well, there may be some very, very good doctors in these countries, but how do you know that? You need to know that your surgeon is a board-certified surgeon, whether by the American Board of Plastic Surgery or by an equivalent board in another country. But when you have surgery in another country, you don't know about your anesthesiologist and you don't know about the operating room. You might not know whether or not drugs are approved in the United States. You might not know uh, if the particular drug that's being used is really even safe. There might be reused things in that operating room. Do you know what kind of nurses there are in that country? All these things come into play when we have surgery in other countries, and it's extremely important to do your homework. I'm not saying surgery in Peru or Brazil or another country is a bad thing, but you really do need to understand just where, uh, just what your surgery is all about and what your surgeon is all about. We have uh, a lot of calls that are backed up now. And uh, we'll be going to them in just a, a few minutes. Now, I had some emails during the week emailed to my office. If you want to email to this show, you can during the week. And we'll be reading emails next week on the show. The email address is radioshow at periplasticsurgery.com. I had an email this week who asked, a woman who had a breast augmentation with a saline implant, and she had problems with the saline implant in that it seemed that there was some wrinkling, and as her implants aged, her breast looked worse and worse. And she asked me through the email, well, what could she do at this point? You know, it's a very difficult problem. When you watch the TV shows that talk about breast augmentation, I watch in disbelief as some of those uh, doctors say things like, get the biggest implant you can possibly get because uh, you'll be getting your money's worth out of that implant. And that's wrong. That's not what we teach our residents in plastic surgery. Bigger is not better in breast augmentation surgery. 
the bigger we go with a breast uh, implant, the more issues we have with a breast implant. We're back on the uh, phone. We've got some calls lined up. We have Lynn now who wanted to talk about eyelid surgery. Lynn, are you still there? Hi, Dr. Perry. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, I was told by um, a local physician that um, I'm having trouble seeing because my uh, my eyelids seem to be drooping. They sort of droop over my eyelids, and and I was told that I could have um, a type of surgery where they would remove some skin and possibly muscle above the eye. Um, uh, but uh, I'm wondering, is this a common procedure? Is it dangerous? Oh, it's a very common procedure. In fact, what you're talking about is technically called a blepharoplasty, also known as an eyelid lift. It's one of the most common procedures that I do in my practice. An eyelid lift involves removing extra skin and extra fat from the eyelids. We can remove skin and fat from the upper eyelids and the lower eyelids, and there are really different operations. But when we talk about the upper eyelids, uh, there's certainly a cosmetic aspect to the upper eyelids in that women in particular like to see a nice, crisp upper eyelid without a lot of extra skin. But what you're talking about is when the eyelid skin gets to be so profuse, it begins to actually hang over. It sits on the eyelashes. People begin to blink a lot because yes, they, yes. they feel the eyelid skin on the eyelashes. And so um, that becomes somewhat of a medical problem, although uh, insurance companies may or may not consider it to be a medical problem, and it's usually not reimbursable. However, if the eyelid skin becomes so much that this the vision is obstructed, it's almost like wearing a baseball hat continuously. And when we remove that upper eyelid skin in an operation called the blepharoplasty, when we remove that skin, you actually can see a little better. You can see the upper visual fields much better, and your world will be brighter after removing that skin. Now, an eyelid procedure, as I said, it's a very common procedure that plastic surgeons do. Virtually all the plastic surgeons in the United, in the United States do a procedure like that. Thank you for calling, Lynn. Thanks for being on the first show. Bernice, you're up next. You wanted to talk about laser for acne. Yes, doctor. My 15-year-old granddaughter is a beautiful girl, and she has got the worst case of acne I've ever seen. My daughter has taken her to dermatologists and to cosmetologists, but now nothing has helped. It's gotten worse. Now, we understand that there's a certain laser treatment that uh, you are doing. Well, there are different lasers uh, that have been used for acne. Now, does your daughter have uh, active acne now? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, the best thing she can do is not see a plastic surgeon for active acne, but really what she should be doing is seeing a dermatologist. Mm -hmm. uh, there are all sorts of treatments, and, in fact, that's what dermatologists do best as opposed to plastic surgeons. Plastic surgeons take care of the problems after acne has been under control. So we will see someone... Uh, at least a year after the acne has been controlled uh, and will take care of scars. And often what I'll do in my practice is uh, excise scars from the acne. So that means, and excision means remove scars, and that's often a first step. And then we can, after the deeper scars are excised or removed, then we can go and do something like either dermabrasion or laser. And, you know, it's interesting. People talk about lasers, and they're very high-tech, and I certainly use lasers. 
but they're really no better than the older techniques of dermabrasion, which is a mechanical sanding of those acne scars. So they can be treated the old-fashioned way or the new way. really doesn't make a difference. In the end, the results are the same. Now, it's important to understand, though, that no treatment will really smooth the skin after acne. What will happen is we get a percentage improvement in the skin. And that may or may not be enough for you. But there is something a little newer than either laser or dermabrasion, and that is injecting those scars with something called Restylane. Restylane is it's about two years old now, and it's a substance called hyaluronic acid. You know, these are big words, but it's easy to remember Restylane. That's the most common hyaluronic acid. There are several other types. But what we do is, in an office procedure, I inject those scars so that we bring the deeper scars up closer to the, the surface of the skin. And the real problem with acne scars is that the light catches the scar, and uh, when we raise up the scar, there's less of a shadow that's created. So, Bernice, the first thing you need to do is get your daughter to a good dermatologist, get the acne under control, and then when it's under control, you can come and see a plastic surgeon for help. Thank you so much, Doc. Okay, thank you for calling. Joseph, you're back on the line with a question about creases. Yeah, uh, I'm 47, and I have, like, creases uh, just, you know, between my, just between my cheek and my nose there, and if you just raise them up with your finger toward your ear, if they go away, it looks a lot better. Right. Well, those are uh, those are common creases. In fact, if you look at a 14-year-old, they've got those creases too. But what bothers people is that when they get older, the creases deepen. And when they deepen, you look in the mirror, and to you, it's a sign of aging. Now, as a man, we treat those creases a little differently than women. Uh, but there are a lot of different approaches. So first we look at fillers, and I mentioned with the last caller, Restylane, and that's a reasonable filler, but it helps the wrinkle more than the deep fold. There's something else, and that's called Radius. It's another one of those fillers. This will last between one and two years. Restylane, as I mentioned before, will last between six months and a year. Radius is actually the building block of bone, and an interesting thing is that when it's placed against bone, we create bone. But when it's created, when it's placed rather in the fat, it plumps out tissue. So one of the ways that we deal with those creases is by injecting. Now, we can also, and in men, this is more common than women, we can excise those folds because some people don't like to come back once a year, once every two years to have injections, and we can actually excise the folds, and that means we treat the fold as if it were a mole. We take it out, and we create a surgical scar which looks like a wrinkle in that crease. It's not a real common procedure, but it is something I do, and it's something that's often done in men more commonly than women. In addition, there's always the lift. And we mentioned earlier that uh, new procedure, the thread lift. That's something that I think a lot of men are going to have in the future when it becomes more popular because the thread lift is done under local anesthesia and we can lift the fold. Everything kind of falls south as you get older. The cheek tissue falls south, the gel falls south, and we're fighting gravity as we get older. And these are all methods to fight gravity. We can fill, we can excise, or we can lift. That's our approach to those creases. Elaine, you're up next. You wanted to ask me a question about risks of surgery. Um, I'm a 72-year-old woman who's considering getting rid of my uh, extra skin under the chin, the waddle. I'm fighting gravity also, just like you were talking before. 
but what are the risks for a person of my age? Well, you know, it's not so much the actual age of the patient, it's how healthy you are. What I do for people who are 72, as I would for pretty much anyone over 60, is we send you to an internist prior to surgery, and they look you over from head to toe. And anyone over 60 gets an exercise stress test before surgery. That gives us a lot of information about your heart. There's a lot of risks of surgery. But one of the risks that we're concerned about is a problem with your heart. If we get an exercise stress test by a good cardiologist, uh, we get a lot of information, and we know your heart is going to be fine during surgery. Uh, there are other risks uh, to surgery. So if you're talking about that waddle, there are ways that we can uh, deal with that other than a facelift. But usually at 72, it is a facelift. If you're a little younger, we might be able to do liposuction. Um, you know, the first step, Elaine, is to see an internist. In fact, at 72, I'd probably see an internist even before seeing the plastic surgeon and discuss with your internist whether or not you might be a good candidate for cosmetic surgery and let them know what's going to happen. When we do, do facelifts, it's usually done under sedation. That means intravenous sedation as opposed to general anesthesia which is absolutely safer than general anesthesia. There's a lot of people that don't want to deal with sedation because you do hear things, and some people don't want to deal with that. Have I answered your question, Elaine? Uh, yes, but I'm just wondering, does that mean in order to get rid of this waddle, I have to have a facelift? Is that what you're saying? Well, not necessarily. Uh, probably at age 72, but not necessarily. What you should do is make your appointment after the internist with the plastic surgeon, and the plastic surgeon will go over things with you. We've run out of time. I'm Dr. Arthur Perry, plastic surgeon. If you have other questions, you can call me at my office at 732-422-9600 in New Jersey. We'll be back next week talking more about cosmetic surgery issues at, on plastic surgery in the air right here on WOR. Thank you for listening. Preceding program was sponsored by the Perry Management Corporation, who is solely responsible for its content.